0: The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. So like John said, we are in John chapter 3 this morning, uh, making our way through John. Uh, We started this series a few months ago, um, and through the book of John, uh, of course, we're on chapter 3. So uh, with 21 chapters, I guess we have about 18 more months to go. Uh, in the book of John, so uh, buckle up, we're ready to go here. Um, So let's start off just kind of recapping so far what's happening uh, in John, uh, what we've seen so far. So we're still very early in Jesus' ministry. We know he's been baptized by um, John the Baptist. He's been tempted in the wilderness. He's chose his uh, first disciples so far. Um, We learned about his first miracle, turning water into wine at the wedding. Uh, he went to Jerusalem for the Passover where he cleansed the temple. Uh, John covered that last week. Uh, we went a little out of order there, but uh, no big deal. In the beginning of this chapter here, we see Nicodemus. Um, Pastor David preached on the uh, story about Nicodemus several weeks ago, uh, where this Pharisee comes to Jesus during the night. He's probably wondering, what's going on? We're hearing about this Jesus guy, and he's a Pharisee, and he's probably wondering, hey, this might be the Messiah. Uh, and so he sneaks away, probably to try to get some one-on-one time with Jesus. Uh, and Jesus answers all of his questions super clearly, right? He says, oh, all you got to do to see the kingdom of God is be born again. Just crawl back into your mother's womb, be born again. Be born of the water and spirit. Super clear. And Nicodemus is like, I got it. Good. Walks away. No, it's a little mysterious, right? Jesus has a little bit of a mysterious words and language that he uses, Uh if you would like to hear more about that, David did a fantastic job uh, presenting that several weeks ago. So shameless plug for the uh, podcast there. Uh, go ahead and look that back up. Um, anytime you miss, by the way, any kind of sermon, uh, anything, especially as we're going through the, the book of John here, it's great to kind of stay along, you know, and follow along throughout the books because a lot of things are connected, of course, uh, all of the book of John. And so if you do happen to miss the podcast, is a great way uh, to catch up there. And so that brings us to John 3, 16, uh, a couple of weeks ago, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. A lot of us know that passage, very familiar with this book, John 3. And that catches us up all the way through today, Adam Cliff note style, to uh, chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, so let's read uh, the passage today. We're going to go all the way through 36. It's quite a large passage of scripture this morning. So turn with me, if you would, chapter 3, verse 22, if you're not there already. In your scripture journal, I have the scripture journal, because I know many of you have it, so I'll be reading from that ESV version this morning. So 22 says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life wrath of God remains on him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that uh, we have the opportunity to gather together and do a Bible study like this and and listen to your words. God, we pray that you'll, uh, as we uh, dive into your word this morning, that we will uh, listen to you, our hearts would be open to you, and we would see you for who you truly are, God, and our lives would be different because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, so far we've seen this theme of John. We know um, from chapter 20, John basically tells us what the purpose of the book is. Um, John tells us that this book, I write this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that in that believing, you may have life. And so, it's through that lens then that we want to look at this passage of Scripture today in John chapter 3. It's all about believing in Jesus, who Jesus is, and that's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to see this morning who Jesus is, and then what does that mean for our lives? How do we respond to that? How how is our life changed uh, through the way that we see Jesus? And so we have this kind of rather unique story uh, in John. We're going to kind of go line by line in in a way here. Um, There's a lot of meat here. There's a lot of things to kind of digest. We want to make sure that uh, we spend some time really digging in this morning. So the scene is this. We have two different groups baptizing. Uh, We have John John the Baptist and his disciples baptizing on one side of the river. We have Jesus and his disciples baptizing on the other side of the river. Very close, probably just a few miles apart. Um, Verse 24 gives us kind of a unique timeline here where in parentheses it says, For John had not yet been put in prison. We know from the other Gospels that uh, Jesus doesn't go to Galilee until after John has been put in prison. And so we know here then that this is before that is occurring. So we have these simultaneous ministries happening. John the Baptist and Jesus, two pretty amazing guys, uh, ministry at the same time. And this issue kind of breaks out. There's a discussion among some church people, um, surprisingly, right, that uh, we have this question about purification between this Jew and John and his disciples, and it's about purification. It doesn't tell us a lot about what this purification, this question was about. We can probably assume that the Jew uh, and the disciples were talking about the different types of baptism. We got Jesus baptizing, we got you baptizing. I understand what baptism was about uh, for repentance, for forgiveness. That's, we're signifying that at this time. Uh, it's not quite Christian baptism yet. Um, but we don't really know uh, all the details of that. But what happens is this then escalates into is comparison, right? John's disciples start to get a little jealous, and they, they become to realize that all of these people are leaving their group, John the Baptist's group, and they're going to Jesus' group. Why are all these people leaving us and going to Jesus and this other guy? And so they bring this to John's attention. They come to John, and they say in verse 26, Rabbi, notice they address him, Rabbi, teacher. He who was with you across the Jordan, don't even name Jesus. This guy that was with you, remember that guy you were talking about across the, the Jordan there? You, uh, you bore witness to him. He's baptizing, and all these people are going to him. And so you see this jealousy uh, coming about. You see these uh, disciples kind of becoming concerned about these people leaving uh, them and going to this, to this, other, uh, to this other group. You know, when I read these uh, passages of scripture, sometimes, and I read some of these responses of the disciples, early disciples, especially in the Gospels, uh, you know, we're we're two thousand years removed from from these, right? We're reading the backstory. We kind of know all the answers. We have the Bible uh, written. We know the ending. Um, so, you know, I I'm, I've got to admit, I'm I'm kind of quick to judge sometimes. You know, I read these, and I'm thinking, you you guys have been walking with John the Baptist. I mean, John, one of the greatest men that ever lived, probably. I mean, he's been teaching you. He certainly has already identified that he's not the Christ. We saw that back in chapter 1. I'm not the Christ. You know, I'm not a prophet. I'm, I'm the prepare. I'm the sent one before Jesus. So they've already been told this. They've spent time with this guy. That's, you know, they, they've they been investing time, learning from him. That's what Rabbi teacher that's what they did in the jewish culture right so they were their his students and so surely by now you would think that they would know who jesus is and they wouldn't be surprised that people are going to him but it's interesting once uh you know we really start thinking about it what's really going on here what's more to the story where's the context happening here and first of all, I would just say, you know, in, in the Jewish culture, you know, the, this, this idea of a rabbi or a teacher and a following in a discipleship, that was really important in their time, right? They were They were spending all their time with John the Baptist. And so you wanted to imitate John the Baptist. You wanted to do what he was doing. You wanted to respond in the way he was responding. You wanted to learn from him and gain all of his knowledge. I mean, so certainly there is a bit of a sense of pride for sure. Right, that this is your teacher, and other people are leaving your teacher for another teacher. So it does kind of make sense a little bit more when you start to understand possibly what was going through their minds and, and what they were thinking about. But just like Nicodemus earlier on in this passage, they're really unaware of who Jesus really is. So either they really never knew or never really got it when John the Baptist was... Uh, teaching them before, or maybe they've just simply forgotten who it is in the midst of this situation, in the midst of these emotions, in the midst of these people leaving and they become jealous. They've just forgot who Jesus is. It's probably one of the two. And so let's look at what John's response is. They come to him and and they say, all these people are leaving. And, and John responds, right? And he says, "Man, we got to increase our, our marketing a little bit, man. Maybe we get some new band members up in here. Maybe we uh, get a better website. We got to get some crowds going, right? We got to we got to get these people back, you know? Right? That's what he says, right? Says in uh, 20, uh, 27, right? We gotta we gotta gather the crowds back, right? He's all about the crowd now, of course not. Yeah, he's not about the crowds, right? He answers back, and he has an amazing perspective." This is very much a Jesus response. You know, I first read this. You know, it's, this, is, this is like something exactly like what Jesus would say. What does he say? John 20, uh, 327, sorry. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. In other words, this isn't happening. Uh, the only way this is happening is because this is meant to happen. This is God-ordained. Heaven uh, wills this to be happening. You yourselves bear, wit, uh, bear me witness that I already said this. I already told you I'm not the Christ. So that's just a repeat right there. And then he has this amazing picture in 29 and 30. This is kind of the real meat, the kind of the crux of this passage here. 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must de- increase, and I must decrease. So we have a lot going on there, right? We have this picture of a wedding. We have three different characters. We have a, the bride, the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom. So who's who in this story? We want to make sure we know who's who in this story. The bride, hopefully we know who's who here. The bride would be the church, right? The believers who are going to Jesus, the, the ones who are being gathered by Jesus, bridegroom, then, is Jesus. If the bride is going to the bridegroom, going to Jesus, we know that that is the bridegroom. Then the friend of the bridegroom, he's talking about himself. Right? John the Baptist is the bridegroom. He's a friend of the bridegroom. Probably, in this case, we could think of him as the best man. And it says he's rejoicing greatly while he's watching all of this unfold. Picture this wedding. Uh, you know, Now, it's a little bit different. If you've been to a wedding recently, or certainly in our culture, who's the wedding all about? bride right so a little bit different maybe in, in this time here weddings all about the bridegroom but he's he's watching this unfold right the bridegroom is getting all of the attention you know all the attentions going to the bridegroom all eyes are on the bridegroom we got cameras flashing we got rice flying everywhere we got people doing the lion dances we have a big party wedding going on and no one's paying attention to this guy in the corner that was just the bridegroom's friend the best man, right? All eyes are on Jesus. And it says he is rejoicing greatly. This is very contrary to the way a lot of you and I would respond. And of course, the same uh, for his disciples here. This is confusing. This is backwards, much like the kingdom of God. It's very upside down, right? In the way that uh, we think about it. And so he's rejoicing greatly. And what is he rejoicing greatly at? The end of verse 29 says, Rejoicing greatly at what the bridegroom's voice. Underlying circle, voice. I think it's an important word. I think he could have used a lot of different words here, and he could have said a lot of different things. I think choosing this is very intentional. If we flip back to chapter 123, we know that he says he is the voice, John the Baptist. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. That's his voice, one crying out in the wilderness. Later on, we haven't gotten there yet, but in chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, many of you are familiar with this verse. 10, verse 3 says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice and so what's happening here is we see that the shepherd's voice is becoming superior greater than more important than louder than the voice in the wilderness and becomes to replace that voice in the wilderness do you know when jesus speaks do you know his voice do you hear it As his church, as his bride, do you know it? John the Baptist rejoicing greatly that this is happening. He actually says, the joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. This is all about Jesus, right? And he's happy about that. This is exactly what he sees happening. When we get to uh, cha- uh, verse thirty, if you would just underline or circle the word "must," I think that's another important word here. Oftentimes, this is a very well-known verse. He must increase; I must decrease. I think we often think of humility right right away. I think that's the kind of the common, you know, uh, inference here. Which is a great demonstration of humility for sure. John the Baptist is humbling himself uh, in the midst of the situation, but more than that. This word must, really, it it translates as necessary that he increases and that I become less or inferior. It's necessary as in this is a divine must. This is God's plan. This is God's sovereign plan for this to happen, for Jesus to increase. Jesus will be exalted. He will be glorified. This will happen. This must happen. John the Baptist is declaring that. He's watching God's sovereign plan unfold in front of him using this wedding analogy and he just takes great joy he's filled with joy his joy is complete in watching god's divine plan come together he knows it's all about jesus and this humility is about him knowing his role and his place in that story and so that's where we come to verse 31 here why must he increase why must we decrease so who is jesus And these verses here, 31 through 36, give us uh, a very clear theology of who Jesus is, probably one of the most clear um, descriptions of who Jesus is in, in the Bible. So it says, he who comes, verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So, so far, we see that Jesus is above all, and we're starting to see a contrast between Jesus and John the Baptist, John the Baptist being of the earth, Jesus being above all and from heaven. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. So Jesus is speaking the very words of God. He speaks with authority. He speaks as the son of God. He speaks firsthand. He knows he is God, not like John the Baptist, who has to rely on Jesus. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure, and the father loves the son has given all things into his hand. How many of you guys remember when you were younger, we sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, got you and me and brother in his hands, right? What is that talking about? When we place something in someone's hand, right? There's an authority, there's a control, there's a ruler, a ship that goes along with that, a lordship that goes along with that. Jesus is lord over all things, not some things, all things. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so we can see this is who Jesus is. Jesus is from heaven. He's above all. He speaks the very words of God. The Father loves him. The Father has given him all things. We can trust him because of this, right? We can know who Jesus is, and it's important that our response reflects our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. It's interesting in verse thirty six here. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not obey the Son, you would think, right, we're contrasting, the opposite of belief would be unbelief, but not so here. We see that the opposite of belief is disobedience. And so the in you know we can infer then that faith And our decision to believe in Jesus is accompanied by obedience. And the lifestyle is what's being emphasized here. That it's not just about belief in the Son, it's about the lifestyle. Which which goes back to John the Baptist and his response. He must increase and I must decrease. That's what this is all about is that lifestyle change. Of him increasing and us decreasing. What does that look like? What does it look like every day? You know, we read the scripture, he must increase, I must decrease. I think it looks a lot like this. Imagine if we woke up every morning and we just prayed, God, what I really want to do today is to bless you. What I really want to do today is honor you in all things and everything I say and do. I want to honor you. We're giving ourselves over to God. We're giving ourselves over to Jesus and allowing him to work through us. I remember a sermon uh, that Pastor Gary preached, I don't think Gary's in here, I think he's with the children, uh, about a year ago or so, and it stuck with me ever since. He, he talked about this picture of dripping Jesus. We should be dripping Jesus everywhere we go. How many of you guys remember that? You guys remember that? He says it often, and it, it's kind of stuck with me, and it really made an impact on me. And, that, and that's the kind of the picture that I get here when I think about him increasing us decreasing is this dripping of Jesus. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a baptismal tank up here, right? Some people came and uh, they dedicated their lives and they demonstrated that through baptism. And they got out of the water and they walked across stage. And what happened? They left a trail of water, right? Why? They were soaked with water. Their clothes were soaking. Their body was soaking. As much as they wrapped that towel around them, it seeped through, we had trails of water across the stage, that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in us. He wants to fill us with his presence, fill us with his Holy Spirit. We spend time with him. We pray with him. We dive into his word. We love like he does. We receive his love. We know who we are. saying about that this morning. And we begin to drip Jesus everywhere we go. And so the question becomes, is that what we're doing? We look at our own lives. Are we dripping Jesus wherever we go? Or have we maybe spent a little too much time out in this beautiful July hot sun? We're all dried out. We're no longer dripping Jesus. It's been a little bit too long since we've returned to Jesus and spent time in his presence. I believe the word for this morning, Jesus, is challenging us on this and what this means to decrease and he increase and as i thought about it this week i was reminded of matthew 16:24 i don't have it on the screen but matthew 16:24 many of you are familiar this is jesus speaking about discipleship he says if anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I believe that's what we're talking about here. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross to follow Jesus. There's sacrifice in that. Jesus is saying here in Matthew that no other relationship, no other thing is more important than me, Jesus. My relationship with you—that has to be number one. It's easier said than done. You know, I think about my own life. I think about, uh, you know, what's what gets in the way of Jesus' work in me. What what areas of my life do I need to become less in and allow Him to become more in? When people look at my life they see me, do they see more of Jesus, or do they see more of Adam? And maybe there are particular areas of your life that you feel uh, for yourself that that's going on. For me, I think about uh, my job. Uh, Many of you know, if you've worked with me at all, if you know me, for those of you who are in my community group, you probably know me a little better. My family is over here. They know me very well. Um, I'm a planner, a bit of a planner. They're probably laughing. Um, You know, I like to strategize. I like to think. I'm always thinking about the next thing. Um, I'm one of those people that I just think about, you know, five years down the road. Okay, where do I see myself? Where do I want to be? What does success look like five years from now? Okay, so so what do I need to do to get there? Here's all the steps. I'm going to lay them all out. I'm going to execute them perfectly, and I'm going to achieve that success. then i get there and i achieve that success and it starts all over again all right i got there what's next it's not all bad i I mean i believe god gifted me in that way for reasons right use them for his kingdom use them for good problem with that becomes when i become too fixated on the next thing where do i see myself and my success becomes greater than jesus People see Adam and they see, man, Adam is all about his, what, fill in the blank, success, about his job, about his next promotion, about his next gig. Man, they don't see Jesus, and that's what was convicting me this week as I read through some of these scriptures. What is it for you that's distracting you from Jesus? In this story, we read about John the Baptist's disciples, what is it that's distracting them from seeing who Jesus is? It's their jealousy, their selfishness. Right? It's the crowd size. It's their popularity, their fame. Are you chasing some of those same things? Are you chasing fame, popularity? Are you chasing success, money, the American dream? Not all bad. Some things not all bad. But when it becomes the loudest thing in your life and begins to drown out the shepherd's voice, that's when it becomes the problem. Are we willing to allow Jesus to be the loudest voice in our lives, like John the Baptist here? Step into the background, fade into the background, and allow Jesus to be number one in our lives. As the worship team comes forward to close us in a time of worship and reflection. I believe Jesus is saying this morning, I want to increase my presence in you. I want to increase my presence in you. And he's asking, what's in the way? What are you, what's in the way of me allowing you allowing me to do that? lot of times we say it's the enemy we say it's our circumstances we're distracted by other things many times it's us we allow ourselves to get in the way of what Jesus wants to do in us he wants to fill us with his presence he wants us to experience his love his forgiveness his grace his joy so as we close in the time of worship this morning I invite you just think about a couple of things. First of all, maybe this is the first time you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've never heard this story before. Maybe you've never heard about Jesus. Today, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You can choose that today. You can choose to have eternal life today. And that's not just eternal life. Eternal rewards after we are gone from this earth. That's new life now. That's new life, now resurrection life. We have resurrection life now. You can choose that. So if that's you, I invite you into that relationship with the Lord, and I'd be happy to pray with you. I'm going to be down here. We'll have some prayer team in the back as well. If you'd like to pray about that, if you'd like to be introduced to Jesus that we're talking about, please come and talk to us. Maybe you're thinking this morning about, What's distracting you? What's preventing you from experiencing the fullness that Jesus has for you? Like I said, I believe Jesus saying to us this morning, he wants to increase his presence in our lives. More of him and less of us. So if you want to experience more of Jesus' presence in your life, or if there's a particular thing that you'd like prayer for that you feel like is distracting, getting you in the way, of experiencing that. I'd love to pray with you about that as well. We'll have prayer teams in the back for that as well. Of course, none of these things would be possible if Jesus did not do the work that he did on the cross. We know at one of the last meals that he had with his disciples, he took a piece of bread and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, is my blood is shed for you. Do this as often as you remember it. So we have stations up here, table up here, and uh, we have one in the back as well. So I invite you now just to respond as you feel the Lord would lead you in a time of communion and a time of prayer.